In the morning, my brothers and sisters in Christ, how are you today? Welcome to the Sunday edition of St. Mark and Bemidji's podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the Selfie Toaster. Toast your visage into toast. Just in case you forgot what you look like. The Sunday edition, as always, is a replay of a sermon from our church or another well sister church. It's super handy for when you're on the road, if you're sick, or if you're unable to make it to church for one reason or another. Today's sermon is titled, Making Disciples, based upon a reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, and appropriately captioned, The Calling of the First Disciples, in my Bible. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother, Andrew, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And now we join Pastor Zamzow for today's meditation. In the name of Christ Jesus, who called the twelve to be fishers of men, amen. This morning in the Gospel according to Mark, we have a short yet very beautiful message about Jesus going and fishing, and instead of catching fish, he catches some disciples. He catches some fishermen. Mark records, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. First of all, these two verses set next to each other always struck me as a little bit strange. Although maybe we shouldn't find it weird at all. John was Jesus' cousin. And he's been put in prison. And you know that weighed on his heart. You know as Jesus went out, you know he had that on his mind. Have you ever had somebody that you know get sent to jail? Even for a just reason. Even when you know they deserve to be there, it makes your heart ache to think about them and the things that, that, that led them to that spot. If somebody you know or someone that you love has been in jail, you, you dwell on it. You think about it. Now John, on the other hand, was put there unjustly because of a jealous, angry king, Herod. And it would seemingly be far from the ideal time to G for Jesus to go out and start doing something similar to what John was doing, don't you think? John got picked up for it. Don't you think Jesus was going to follow shortly thereafter? But no, Jesus goes out. He has good news to proclaim. How could there be any good news, though, with that weighing on his mind, with thoughts preoccupied, because someone you love was treated so unjustly. How could this be a good time? John in prison. 
how could this be a good time to go out and make disciples? And for Jesus, this was the perfect time. Nothing would be accomplished, and he knew it. Nothing would be accomplished in trying to appeal to the authorities or, uh, if it were possible, to post bail or the like. There was work to do. There was better work to, be, to do. There was work to do that John would do if John were free. And that even if John could speak to Jesus from the prison cell, I'm sure he would encourage him to keep on keeping on. Good news to share, even in the face of the world's injustices. Now was the time to go and proclaim the good news, to strike while the iron was hot. John the Baptist had said that, he, that one was coming after him whose sandals he was not worthy to stoop down and untie. Well, he was here. John had stood there on the banks of the Jordan River and pointed to Jesus and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The time had come, as Jesus said. The time is now. What an incredible thing to hear. If you're a Jewish person living in that time and in that place, the promise of God fulfilled. The one long promised ages ago. And here He is in the flesh. This is indeed good news. God making good on His promise yet again. Jesus said the kingdom of God has come near. You don't really get the sense of it in the English so much. You're like, well, what does that mean exactly? What Jesus means is that where I am, the kingdom of God is. Where I am, the kingdom of God is. It is near. It's me. John puts it this way in the beginning portion of his Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Jesus says, I'm the Word. I'm here, made flesh, walking among you, right here, right now. I am Messiah. The Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world was here. And this is the good news that John clung to even as he sat there in that dank, dark prison cell. Because he knew that Jesus had come to free the world from a darker, danker, harsher prison than the one that he was in. He knew that Jesus would come, the Messiah had come, to free the world from the chains of sin. He knew that the Messiah had come to free the world from the chains of sin and from the cold stone of the tomb. This is good news. This is the perfect time to proclaim good news. This is the perfect time to go out and to call disciples. To make disciples. You know, when you have something on your mind, when things weigh on your heart, whether that's issues that are beyond your control, or whether it's your own bad decisions. When those things in life seem to kind of close around and when things weigh, weigh heavy on your hearts and on your minds like they surely were for Jesus here, it's a call for us to realize that there's no better time to share the faith. There's no better time to share the Gospel with somebody. 
When our hearts are heavy and the temptation is to sink in and to internalize, to run away from people, that's what the devil would have us do. He would have us thinking, and no, you need to figure this out first before, before you can be a, a, of aid to anybody else. A friend of mine who's a pastor had an incredible gift for this. Um, when, uh, when, uh, and he would tell me about this every so often that somebody would come into his office and they would have just something that, that just was crushing. Whether it was abuse or some financial, awful financial situation or the like, you name it. And he, they would sit down and oftentimes they'd be in tears. I'm broke. My marriage is falling apart. This, that, or the other thing. And my friend had a gift for being able to say, okay, now how do you use that? How do you use that to reach people for Jesus? How do you use your situation to preach the Gospel? Because so often in the Gospels we see Jesus doing this. We see Him in some circumstance. We see Him in some trouble. We see something in a situation where things were surely weighing on His mind. And yet, what does He do? He goes and proclaims the good news that He is here, that He has come to take away the sin of the world. You know, even speaking um, from my own perspective, my own pers- uh, professional standpoint, so to speak, I found that when things weigh on my mind, when there are issues that, that I, they maybe just seem out of my control, or there's something on my heart, there's something on my mind, you know where a, a really, really great place of solace to be is? Teaching people about Jesus. It's like everything kind of fades away for the time being, and you go back into the Word. You go back into the Word that is our place of peace, that is our place of, of solace that proclaims our hope, that proclaims our Messiah. I think even of, uh, of Martin Luther in the days of the Reformation. He had to keep himself busy. Luther was a guy who struggled with, um, well, undiagnosed at the time, but Luther was a guy who most, almost certainly struggled with depression. And back then, obviously, they didn't have you know, medications or, or, or the like, so how did he deal with it? Well, he taught. And Luther has been quoted as saying, what I needed to learn the most, when I needed to learn the most, is what I was teaching. It's like I said this to the catechism students the other day. I asked them, and I was really surprised. I asked them, when do you learn the most? And one little kid raised his hand and he said, when you teach. Absolutely right. You prepare it yourself, you think about it yourself. What you often what we often need to learn the most is when we is when we teach. We need to learn the, the peace that God has for us. And there's no better way to learn that than by speaking it, by sharing it, by teaching it. It's what a blessing it is to speak in the face of the world's troubles. To speak of God's grace, to speak of God's love to speak the good news of God, to speak of forgiveness in the face of guilt, when we learn that we have a hope in Jesus that goes beyond this life. I'm not saying as Jesus' disciples, 
that we need to go out and stand at a street corner or the like or to barge into somebody's classroom. That's not what I'm getting at. This can happen in the quiet of your own home. With your kids or your friends or your family. Maybe just a quiet one-on-one, heart-to-heart conversation. In the midst of some difficulty, in the midst of some trial, to be able to speak and to be able to share the Gospel, share the good news that you know in your soul to be true. And what a great way to throw it all back in the devil's face. What a way to encourage others who might be going through something similar. When the devil would discourage us or try to rob the world of Jesus, go share the good news of forgiveness and peace and grace in Christ and strengthen and make new disciples. This is the work that Jesus sets Himself to immediately. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. I don't know why else you'd be throwing a net into the lake, but they were fishermen. Come, follow Me, said Jesus. I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed Him. And these these verses from a worldly perspective don't really make a whole lot of sense either. Any more than the first couple verses. You think about it in this context. If you're an employer and you put out, a, 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 you say that I have a job position open, who do you want filling that job? The best and the brightest, the most qualified person to take that position? Shouldn't Jesus have gone to the school of the scribes? Shouldn't He have gone maybe to the, the learned Pharisees and drawn from that stock? Shouldn't he, he, he maybe have, have gone out to maybe some of the rabbis who had been preaching for decades at this point? Wouldn't they know how to teach best? Wouldn't they know Scripture best? <laughs> Where does Jesus go? He goes to the Sea of Galilee. And He goes and He finds these fishermen. Have you ever seen that show, Deadliest Catch? About the Bering Sea crab fishermen? Tatted up, drinking, smoking, cussing. Fishermen! This is who Jesus goes to. This is the stock that He draws from. Out of all the teachers or possible disciples or makers or fishers of men that could possibly be, this is where He goes. For the future missionaries of the world. Incredible. This is who Jesus would pick. Andrew. We find out earlier, a little bit, uh, elsewhere in in the Bible about this man, Andrew, that Jesus calls. Andrew had been a disciple of John the Baptist. We don't know for sure, but maybe he was there when Jesus was baptized. Rumor of Jesus had been filtering out through the towns and villages to some degree. And now, He comes down to the Sea of Galilee to find Him. This One who the Holy Spirit landed on as a dove. The One whom God the Father spoke over. And no doubt, Andrew is probably, having been a disciple of John the Baptist, 
Andrew was probably feeling some of the very same things Jesus was about John the Baptist. Probably able to commiserate on some level. John being in prison. And all the fears and worries that go along with that. And now here comes the one that John said was greater. And he's calling him. A fisherman. Former disciples of John the Baptist. Are these guys 100% qualified to be Jesus' disciples? To be fishers of men? Let me think about who we are and who is sitting in this room right now. We're sinners all. We're not all doctors. We're not all scholars in here. Yet the Lord Jesus has called us too by His Word. He's met us at the water as well. The water of our baptism. Although we're far from perfect. Although sinful by nature, Jesus calls us to be His disciples, to follow Him as well. And I, you know, I know there's a lot of Christians that, that, that oftentimes feel it's difficult for me, Pastor, to share my faith because I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to say something wrong. I, 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 don't, I don't want to. I, I think I've heard this more, more commonly, Pastor. I just wish that, you know, can I, if I'm talking to my friend who needs to hear about Jesus, can I just put you on speaker? You're qualified. You're qualified. You are qualified to speak of the grace of Christ Jesus. Who better to call the lost than those who were once lost? Who better to comfort than ones who once hurt? Who better to forgive than the ones who know that by nature they are guilty? And that's as true of Andrew and Simon and James and John as it is for you and me. These guys who saw Jesus walking down that shore and dropped everything and followed after Him. They left their livelihoods. They left everything when Jesus called them. You know, we think of these, uh, these what effect would have that had on you or on me? You know, I, I often think, you know, what if, uh, what impact would it have had on the rest of my life if I was standing there at Jesus' ascension? What impact would it have had on my life if I was sitting there at the Last Supper with Jesus? What impact would it, would it, would it have been if, if I had been there at the feeding of the 5,000? How would that one moment in my life have impacted the rest of everything that I do. This is the start of all that. We don't really have very many descriptions of what Jesus looked like. There are some historians, that uh, ancient historians, that give some sort of an account. We don't really know what He looked like. That doesn't really much matter. It doesn't matter much what the Lord looked like. What it mattered is, is that when you met Jesus, it changed you forever. These guys that were fishing drop everything and follow him. You think of Simon of Cyrene, the guy who was forced to carry Jesus' cross under duress. How long was he with Jesus? 
10 minutes, 15 minutes. We find out in John's Gospel that his kids are believers. Meeting Jesus had an incredible impact. Uh, meeting Jesus in person had an incredible impact that lasted for the rest of one's life. And the same thing we might think, well, I haven't met Jesus personally. Oh, no. Yeah, 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 we have. He's called us at our baptism. He's called us through His Word. He continues, he continues to meet with us. He continues to meet with us every single week when we come up to the altar. Yeah, we met Jesus by the water too. He washed away our sins in baptism. He's called us in the same way and told us of His love and His forgiveness for us unworthy sinners in His Word. And He's given us the same charge as well. To go out and to fish for people. We hear the Savior calling in all of these things. And this is the blessed privilege that we've got. We don't need to go from doorstep to doorstep as we sang in the last hymn, no word on bended knee. We don't need to beg people to come in here. We need to share Jesus. Bring them to Him. Come and see. The two, most two powerful words in all of evangelism. Come and see. Come and see Jesus. Come hear His Word. Come see what He has done. That more people might meet Jesus by the water. That more people might be called by Jesus in, in the same way through His Word to go out and to fish for people. Because just as Jesus called and made disciples all those ages ago, He hasn't changed tactics at all. Jesus still makes disciples that make disciples. Amen. I sincerely pray that today's meditation on God's Word has enriched you. Didn't get enough of God's Word? Are you missing out on that in-person fellowship? We hold divine services right here in Bemidji, Minnesota at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Sunday school and adult Bible study is also offered between our Sunday services at 9.15 a.m. We also live stream our Sunday divine service at 8 a.m. You can ensure that you are notified when a stream is live or a new podcast is available by subscribing to our YouTube channel. It's easy to find by typing in St. Mark Bemidji in the search bar and clicking on the subscribe button. Want to listen to meditations the way I do every day? Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Go to podcastindex.org and search for St. Mark Bemidji to find us. This is our fifth year producing this podcast, and there is a large archive of devotional material online available if you want to learn more about God and His Word. Visit www.stmarksbemidji.org or look in the show notes in this podcast for a link to this and many other meditations on God. If you have any questions or you would like more information about our church and its ministry, please visit our website, which is once again www.stmarksbemidji.org. May God bless the rest of your day.